Hello, Hopeful. I'm Roger Corville, and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible. Here, we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in His world. Welcome. How in the world can a holy and pure king of the universe dwell among his sinful and impure people? How can he live here in our very midst without his holiness melting us into <laughs> in our sin and impurity? And how can we live as his people in such a way that we really do extend his holy kingdom throughout the whole earth? My friends, that is the set of questions that Leviticus answers, <laughs> which we start today. But, and it might be a stretch, but a pastoral answer from 2 Timothy might be, don't lose focus on what's primary. Don't be enticed into stupid arguments. And only answer when you must. And we have a loaded show for you today. Today, my friends, welcome to today's slice of our Monday through Saturday journey through the Bible in a year time together, reading through every single word of God's revelation of himself, including that weird stuff in Leviticus and considering our own life and work stories in light of that. And I have to confess, uh, there's some tough times going on right now in ministry, financially and spiritually. And when we get to this opening seven chapters of Leviticus, or frankly, probably all of it, my heart is to want to help you make sense of this stuff that otherwise seems super weird here 3,500 years later. Now, that said, our first mission here is reading all of God's word and then trusting that uh, that will be sufficient relative to letting other sources help us go deeper when and where appropriate. But keeping the main thing the main thing, we first just sit at Jesus' feet and listen. My heart, though, is just that of a pastoral teacher, so I burn to help you see how utterly amazing all of God's Word is, including the weird stuff. As we turn to our New Testament segment, we pick up in 2 Timothy 2, a sort of last will and testament for Paul, who began by exhorting young T Pastor Tim to stay the course Right, saying that real life, a life that gives a person fulfillment and purpose and eternal significance is found in and only in Jesus Christ. And the real issues are simply too important to lose sight of. Right, God's truth rests upon his revelation through the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles. So now, of all the things you might emphasize or we might imagine somebody emphasizing on their deathbed or when they're drawing close to the end, what does Paul emphasize? Well, we pick up and continue in 2 Timothy 2. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Consider what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, 
risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. That is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to fight about words. This is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Avoid irreverent and empty speech, since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. Hymenaeus and Philetus are among them. They have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, bearing this inscription when it says, in the Old Testament, that is, my friends, when it says, The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Now, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Flee from youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes, because you know that they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. He must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. Perhaps God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. And that ends chapter 2, or gets us up through chapter 2. I want to keep going. It says, but know this, hard times will come in the last days. And my friends, that's where we are, I believe. But we're going to turn to uh, to our Old Testament segment. Uh, but catch this, and I... I, I borrowed this concept from, or a few of these words from D.A. Carson. Don't lose focus on what's primary. Don't be enticed into stupid arguments. Only answer when you must. Now, turning to our Old Testament segment. The story immediately before Leviticus is one in which the Lord redeems the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and enters into covenant relationship with them. My friends, I'm talking about Exodus, right? They are to be his treasured possession who are to fulfill a special role, being a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and in this way, spreading the Lord's kingdom of justice and mercy and goodness and love in all the earth. And what is more, they are to do this with the Lord himself dwelling 
in their midst. Of course, in Exodus, that means in the tent of meeting. And if you were an Israelite, all of this would point to some burning questions. How can a holy and pure king dwell with his sinful and impure people? And how can he live here in our very midst without blowing us all to smithereens? And how can we live as his people in such a way that we really do extend his holy kingdom throughout the earth? Well, as Jay Sklar argues in his commentary, this should, should take the Israelites and us to the Lord's intent for humanity from the beginning of the whole world, which is to walk in rich fellowship with the covenant king, enjoying his care and his blessing and extending through all the earth his kingdom of justice and mercy and kindness and righteousness and holiness and love. And when we get to the beginning of Leviticus, uh, the first six and a half, seven chapters is addressed to lay Israelites. That's like you and me. It contains laws describing how to present the five main offerings, and we'll talk about each of those as we go. And each one is presented as a case law, right? A literary form common in the ancient Near East, and in fact, even societies today. And a case law first states the condition in which the law will apply, and it usually begins like if or when, and then the law states what should happen if that condition is met. And you're going to immediately hear a good example. So um, with that, that is a way longer introduction than I would normally want to do. But I just want us to keep this in context, right? So the very first offering we're going to hear about is burnt offering, which usually is about atonement and or underscores prayers of petition or praise. Okay, Leviticus, starting in chapter one. Then the Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord from the livestock, you may bring your offering from the herd or the flock. Now here we go. Listen to this line. If his offering is a burnt offering, there's the if, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to bring an unblemished male. He will bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting so that he may be accepted by the Lord. Okay, pause right there. Did you catch how that if then? Now we're going to have some other details here, but this opening burnt offering, and we'll hear a little more about this, but the, the point being, if you're going to bring it, it's okay to bring it from the herd or the flock, but here's where you'd bring it. And why? So that you may be accepted by the Lord. Of course, we don't have to keep bringing physical animal offerings because Jesus was the final and ultimate offering, right? Okay, we'll continue. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering so that it can be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the bull. Who does the slaughtering? He does. He is to slaughter the bull before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priests, are to present the blood and splatter it on all sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he, who, not the priest, he is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priest, will prepare a fire on the altar and arrange the wood on the fire. Aaron's sons, the priests, are to arrange the pieces, the head, the fat, on the, and the fat on the top of the burning wood on the altar. The offerer is to wash its entrails and legs with water. Then the priest will burn all of it on the offer, altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
All right, I'm not going to get through near as much as I was planning to get through today. But do you, did you catch this? Who does the slaughtering of, the, of that? That's you and me, right? And what would be going on in the heart and mind of someone who was bringing an offering and then you had to do the slaughtering? There would be a very physical, real, if not warm and gushy example right literally in your hands with regard to this animal paying your price, what you deserved. Are you with me? This is literal, visceral stuff, my friends. But if his burnt offering, but if his offering for a burnt offering is from the flock, from sheep or goats, he is to present an unblemished male. He will slaughter it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. Aaron's sons, the priests, will splatter its blood on the altar uh, on all sides. He will cut the animal into pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest will arrange them on top of the burning wood on the altar. But he is to wash the entrails and legs with water. The priest will then present all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he is to present his offering from the turtle doves or young pigeons. Then the priest is to bring it to the altar and will twist off its head and uh, burn it on the altar. Its blood should be drained at the side of the altar. He will remove its digestive tract, cut off the tail feathers, throw it on the east side of the altar at the place for the ashes. He will tear it open by its wings without dividing the bird. And then the priest is to burn it on top of the altar with the burning wood. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And that's Leviticus 1. So one comment, and then we'll do one more offering, and then we'll... uh... (laughs) We'll see if we got time for a wisdom segment here today. But did you catch that that pleasing aroma or soothing aroma that you hear about three times is a means of affecting, um, symbolically anyway, a harmonious relationship between the person and God. Are you with me? We bring something to the table which Romans 12.1 says is a living sacrifice. That's, that's us. Um, and the way we are laying ourselves down as a living sacrifice is because we are in Christ and he was the one who died in our place. Uh, we can't go any deeper than that or I'll run out of time. Leviticus 2, the crane offering, which the grain offering, by the way, often mirrors purpose, uh, the purpose of offering it um, often mirrors the offering that it accompanies. So keep that in mind. Here we go. When anyone presents a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, it is to consist of fine flour. He is to pour olive oil on it, put frankincense on it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priest. The priest will take a handful of fine flour and oil from it, along with its frankincense, and will burn this memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering will belong to Aaron and his sons. It is the holiest part of the food offering to the Lord. Pause. Notice here that unlike the the burnt offering, the grain offering has some that the priests get to keep. Um, 
Thus, its purpose was not so much about securing atonement, but it's, um, it implies covenant relationship reestablished by atonement, at least according to the Holman Bible Handbook. Here we go. Oh. When you present a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to be made of fine flour, either unleavened cakes mixed with oil or unleavened wafers coated with oil. If your, grain off- if your offering is a grain offering prepared on a griddle, it is to be unleavened bread made of fine flour mixed with oil. Break it into pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering prepared in a pan, it is made with fine flour with oil. And when you bring your pancakes to the Lord, the grain offering made in any of these ways, and I just was seeing if you were paying attention, it is to be presented to the priest and he will take it to the altar. The priest will remove the memorial portion from the grain offering and burn it on the altar, a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering will belong to the Aaron and his sons. It is the holiest part of the food offering to the Lord. No grain offering that you present to the Lord is to be made with yeast, for you are not to burn any yeast or honey as food offering to the Lord. You may present them to the Lord as an offering of first fruits, but they are not to be offered on the altar as a pleasing aroma. You are to season each of your grain offerings with salt. You must not omit from your grain offering the salt of the covenant with your Lord. You are to present your salt, you are to present salt with each of your offerings. If you present a grain offering of first fruits to the Lord, you are to present fresh heads of grain, crushed kernels, roasted on the fire for your grain offering of first fruits. And you are to put oil and frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest will then burn some of its crushed kernels and oil with all its frankincense as a food offering to the Lord. All right, so that's chapter two. That's the grain offering, which kind of sounds like a Thanksgiving offering for, you know, like at harvest. Last one we're going to do here. Uh, Chapter three, the fellowship offering. If his offering is which, by the way, is kind of underscores covenant fellowship with the Lord and fellow Israelites, right? Love God, love others. That's kind of the context of the fellowship offering. Here we go. If his offering is a fellowship sacrifice and he's presenting an animal from the herd, whether male or female, he is to present one without blemish before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then Aaron's sons will and priests, the priests, will splatter the blood on all sides of the altar. He will present part of the fellowship sacrifice as a food offering to the Lord. The fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat on, the, on them at the loins. And he will also remove the fatty lobe of the liver with the kidneys. Uh, no, I don't know what all that means. Aaron's sons will burn it on the altar along with the burnt offering that is on the burning wood, a food offering of a pleasing aroma to the Lord. If his fellowship offering as a fellowship sacrifice to the Lord is from the flock, he is to present a male or female without blemish. He is to present a lamb for his offering. He is to present it before the Lord. He must lay his hand on the head of the offering and then slaughter it before the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons will splatter its blood on all sides of the altar, and he will then present part of the fellowship sacrifice as a food offering to the Lord, consisting of its fat and the entire fat tail, which is to rem- he is to remove close to the backbone. He will also remove the fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat on the entrails, the two small the two kidneys with the fat on them at the loins, the fatty lobe of the liver above the kidneys, and then the priest will burn the food on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. If his offering is a goat, he is to present it before the Lord. He must lay his hand on the head and slaughter it before the tent of meeting. The Aaron's sons will splatter its blood on all sides of the altar. He'll present 
part of his offering is a food offering to the Lord, the fat surrounding the entrails, all the fat that's on the entrails, the two kidneys with the <laughs> fat on them at the loins. He will also remove the fatty lobe of the liver with the kidneys. Then the priest will burn the food on the altar as a food offering for a pleasing aroma. All the fat, this is the very end of chapter three, all the fat belongs to the Lord. This is a permanent statute throughout your generations. Wherever you live, you must not eat any fat or blood. No, my friends, I don't know what that means. Other than I know in Leviticus 17, it says we don't eat the blood because the life is in the blood. We'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, I don't know what the significance of the fat is. I will say this. Our little wisdom segment today is going to be super short, but I think it brings it home. Proverbs 16, 19, and 20. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. The one who understands a matter finds success, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. My friends, if there is a theme for today, it is simply that we can't lose focus on what's primary. Don't be enticed into stupid arguments and only answer when you must. I think that helps us put a little context on that proverb. The one who understands a matter finds success and the one who trusts in the Lord will be happy. I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.